You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. to do a couple of years ago was I started uh, collecting a variety of very common kind of basic tools and I started kind of putting them in new or kind of gently used toolboxes and I would try to find the types of tools that you would you know most often use you know things like hammers and a variety of screwdrivers maybe a pair of pliers a tape measure things like that. And each time one of the kids left home and started living on their own, I would kind of give them one of these toolboxes that was kind of hopefully filled with a nice variety of tools. And again, the challenge was just always kind of trying to figure out, you know, what kinds of tools really are the most common, are the most useful in situations like that? And then, you know, kind of what tools wouldn't you want to include in something uh, like that. It's amazing how fast you can fill a toolbox, and it's amazing how handy something like that can be, especially when the need arises. It's gratifying to see that when I'm at one of the kids' house or maybe at their apartment and we need a hammer or a tape measure, it's really fun to see them kind of go to that toolbox and be able to pull that particular tool out and be able to use it at that time. In like manner, you know, God has given each of us a toolbox, and inside that toolbox are some very practical and very helpful tools that are extremely useful in building God's kingdom within us and really kind of helping to uh, repair and to build uh, damaged and broken things in our lives. And those tools that I'm referring to uh, are what the uh, scriptures call the fruit of the Spirit. And there are really specifically nine tools in there. And again, they are the most practical. They're really the most helpful. They're really the most common tools we will use throughout life. And again, this morning, we're going to look at those tools. I want to kind of just look at how does God use them? How does he call us to use those in our lives and in our relationship, not just our relationship with God, but really our relationships with one another? Now, it's interesting that Galatians chapter 5 begins the way that it does. And verse 1 says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've kind of looked at that whole idea of what slavery to the law looks like uh, and, and what that uh, kind of how that manifested there in the very first church. Uh, again, they were kind of getting tied up in uh, the, the laws of circumcision, uh, which Paul said was no longer necessary for those that were brand new believers. You had these Jewish leaders coming in and trying to force the law of Moses upon uh, these new Gentile believers. And again, Paul uh, does um, goes and uh, meets with the elders of the church. They make a decision 
circumcision that allows the uh, Gentile men to remain free uh, from circumcision, therefore remaining free uh, in Christ. So freedom in Christ uh, really was part of what Paul's ministry was all about. It's really what the whole book of Galatians um, was about, and it focused on this pursuit of staying free from the law and remaining free in Christ. Now, Galatians 5, and again, it reveals the secrets there to remaining free in Christ and staying free in Christ. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them to Galatians chapter 5, and we'll begin there with verse 16. And Paul just kind of makes a very practical, great statement here. So he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Now, if, if we could just do that, uh, and just allow the Holy Spirit to guide our lives, what we would find is the Holy Spirit is always going to lead us in, in ways that allow us to remain free in Christ. And he says, Part of that guiding of the Holy Spirit is so that you're, we don't do what our sinful nature desires. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And Paul says these two spiritual forces are just constantly fighting each other so that we are not free to carry out our good intentions. But when we are directed or we're allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our lives, Paul says you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, he says the results or the way that's gonna manifest is very clear. You'll begin to see sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and Paul said, and other sins like these. He says, let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living a, that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he says, there is no law uh, against these things. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So there in verses 22 through 23, Paul kind of lists there these nine tools that God has given every spirit-filled believer for living our lives in a way that not only brings freedom, but it honors and blesses God and it blesses others as well as ourselves. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, one of the things that I want you to take away, the main thing I want you to take away from here this morning is this. Every circumstance in your life, 
every situation, everything that's ever happened to you, everything that's happening to you now, everything that will happen to you in the future. Every situation you find yourself in, happy or sad, every action you take, every reaction you make, I want you to know at least one of those nine tools can be used to give you victory. As a matter of fact, Paul says, if the Holy Spirit is truly leading and guiding your life, at least one of those nine fruits of the Spirit will be a part of every aspect, every moment, every decision, every encounter of your life. There's nothing and I mean there is nothing you will go through in this life, no matter how difficult or painful it may be, that at least one of those nine tools will get you not only through it victoriously, but it will keep you free in Christ. But I want you to beware. Not only are those nine tools in a very effective toolbox, I want you to understand that there's also another toolbox. And it is a toolbox that is filled with some very effective, very, very powerful, and extremely destructive tools. Destructive to us, destructive in our relationship with the Father, and destructive in our relationships with one another. Tools like hostility, dissension, envy, anger and jealousy, just to name a few. And in verse 17, Paul warns us, and he says that from now until Jesus comes again or until we die, whichever comes first, Paul's warning us there is this constant battle and we feel it. We feel it every day. We feel that pull, that tug of one way or the other. And there is just this constant fierce battle within each one of us as to which toolbox are we gonna reach into, especially when it comes to our relationships. So following all of this in Galatians chapter five, right away, Paul kind of gives us this great example of really how this can work, how this is uh, useful and helpful in our lives. And he says, dear brothers and sisters, if a fellow believer, if another brother or sister in Christ is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. So Paul very clearly says, when we see a fellow believer, a, a brother and sister in Christ, who is overcome by some sin, probably one of those that maybe Paul listed there in verses 19 through 21. He says, God's given each of us, has given to you this tool of gentleness. And that through the Holy Spirit working in us, when we mix that with humility, it, it says we have the, the hope, we have the, maybe the potential of, of reaching and restoring that person back into their walk, back into their relationship with the Father, back into that place of being free in Christ. And again, you find that throughout the scripture. I mean, I just... 
went through the scriptures this week and we're just looking at all of the places where you just see all of these different fruits of the spirit operating. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 beginning in verse 22. He says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, and love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be kind, kindness to everyone. Be able to teach, be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change their hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they'll come to their own senses and they'll escape from the devil's trap for they have been held by him to do whatever he wants. Again, there's just a lot of great takeaways just in that portion of scripture. I want you to notice how many of those nine tools, those characteristics of the fruit of the spirit you find operating in those verses. I mean, you have six of the nine that are mentioned there. Faithfulness, love, peace, patience, kindness, and gentleness. And I think it's there sometimes just as a reminder that sometimes it takes more than just one fruit of the spirit in any given circumstance, situation, or response. Likewise, how many of you have ever done maybe just a project around the house and you find yourself not just needing one tool to complete the project, but you need a variety of tools. Sometimes we need a hammer, a saw, screwdrivers, a drill, band-aids in order to complete the task, right? And there are times where love is all we need. But there may also be times where we may need to involve gentleness and kindness and patience in order to be victorious. The other thing that kind of stands out to me about 2 Timothy 2 is how we're to use those tools in our day-to-day relationships. Not with those who are just fellow believers. Oftentimes, sometimes those can be the easiest people to deal with. But it also gives us insight and instruction in, in dealing with those who may be difficult. And maybe those that are downright just being used by the enemy. How many of us have those kind of people in our lives? Fellow believers. They're just easy to get along with. They're easy to love. They're encouraging. They're fun to be around. But also our lives, we run into people who are difficult. They can be argumentative. And sometimes you wonder, maybe they're possessed, right? And you read that last statement there in 2 Timothy 2.26, for they have been held captive by him, the devil, to do whatever he wants. Man, have you ever stopped to think maybe how many times that is being manifested around you or in a particular situation or circumstance you're in? It is so easy to forget that verse. There are people you're gonna encounter who are being held hostage by the devil and they're simply doing whatever he wants them to do. It's like they're no longer in control. They're no longer in charge of their lives. And again, when we lose sight of that, often the mistake we make is we make it about the person rather than the devil whose control they're really under. And that's why I think Paul tells us there in Ephesians 6, verse 12, he says, our fight, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. 
Paul says it's against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and it's against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Man, there are times I get in situations where I need to remember this. I need to remember that truth and really keep that front and center. One of the encouraging takeaways for me in these verses is that as we're focused and committed and faithful in allowing the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in our lives through these nine tools, these nine characteristics, is that God uses those and he uses us and he uses those things manifesting and working in our lives to change people's hearts and minds on any given issue. Sometimes we think it's all up to us to change people's hearts and minds. It's not. It never has been and it never will be. Yes, God uses us. Yes, God manifests things through us as an opportunity to bring about the kind of change and transformation that God wants to do in their hearts, but it's God doing the work. It's not us. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you that as we're loving, unlovely people, that just to remember, it is God's love. It's his desire to manifest his love in and through us to that person in hopes of revealing himself to that person. That as we talk about God being love, that God would be able to love that person through us. And again, if they reject that love, Again, oftentimes we personalize that and we think they're rejecting us. They're not. They're rejecting God. And again, we can try to bring correction into the lives of people, whether they're Christ followers or not. But again, the scripture cautions us when we do that, we have got to approach that and we've got to do that with great gentleness and humility. So much of the correcting I see going on in the body of Christ today especially towards those who oppose God's truth. It's being done with a lot of anger and hostility and quarreling. And you'll notice which, which three those toolbox, or which, which those three, which toolbox those are found in. And so many of the debates that are happening in our culture right now have nothing to do with God being right. It's about me being right. And I can get caught up in all of this just as easily as anybody else. And again, that's why we really need to be diligent and just laser focused on allowing the Holy Spirit to guide our lives. And again, yielding ourselves to those nine fruits manifesting in and through our lives and into our relationships. Janie and I have been going through a devotional study on the book of Romans. And the last couple of weeks, the pastor that's been leading this particular study, J.D. Walt, has been focusing on relationships. And he's really been focusing on the importance of relationships, particularly among fellow believers. And recently he made a couple of statements these last couple of weeks that really kind of caught my attention and really got me uh, to thinking. The first statement he made was this. He said, our relationships are the mission. Our relationships are the mission. Have you ever stopped to think how much of the Bible, especially the New Testament, speaks to the ways we are called 
to live in relationship with one another. Just this week, I took some time to just look through uh, one of Jesus's most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew chapters five through seven. And it's amazing what you find in there that Jesus uh, gives to us and how all of that pertains to relationships. Don't murder, don't judge one another. Be reconciled uh, to those who have committed something against you. He says, if someone slaps you on the face, offer them the other cheek. Someone takes your shirt, give them your coat too. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Rejoice when people mock you. Forgive those who sin against you. And again, so much of what Jesus teaches about there is for the sake of having and maintaining and building good, godly, healthy relationships, not just with God, but with one another. And again, it's so important to remember when we stand before God on judgment day, and we're called to give an account for our lives, part of what we're gonna be called to account for is not just our relationship with God, but how we stewarded our relationships with others. Are we kind to other people? Or are we hostile? Are we gentle? Or are we abrasive? Are we loving toward our brothers and sisters? Or are we judgmental? Our relationships to people will matter just as much as our relationship to God. As a matter of fact, you can tell a lot about a person's relationship with God just by the way they treat people. Our relationships with one another are the mission. The second observation he made plays off the first statement, and he said, awakening rides on the rails of friendship. Awakening, by that he means revival. Revival, awakening rides on the rails of friendship. And I think what he means by that is he means the most effective witness to a non-believing world is the way we love one another. Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said, your love for one another will prove, it will demonstrate to the world that you are my disciples. And when we use the tool of love, that first fruit of the spirit, and we do that as holy and as authentic as we can, it will draw unbelievers and cause them to reflect upon their relationship with God. J.D. Walt writes this, he says, if our relationships are the mission, it makes sense that our primary work is in building those bonds as strong as we can. Relationships that are broken and in disrepair create barriers, not only for the flourishing of the church, but for the awakening of the unbelieving world. Like us, everybody wants to be accepted. Everybody wants to be loved. But you know what? If unbelievers look at the local church and all they see is division, strife, judging, envy, jealousy, and the like, chances are very good they will remain distant from God and distant from the church. If we want to see an awakening in our, in our country, I believe it will involve, in part, Christians looking at how well we love one another and what are the quality of our relationships with each other. 
I believe a church that knows how to love well, to gently restore those who are fallen, to be kind to one another, to be joyful in every situation and circumstance will be a church that God draws people to and uses to heal hurt and broken lives. I think one of the most interesting and one that kind of stands out to me right now in using in our relationships with one another is the tool of kindness. I love what Luke 6.35 tells us about kindness. It says, for God, our heavenly father, he's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Isn't that interesting? God is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Are you, am I? God is. Why does God show kindness to those who are unthankful and wicked. We don't think that way. That's not how we would operate if we were God. As a matter of fact, we often question why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people? We want and we expect good things to happen to good people, bad things to happen to bad people. But that's not how God works. Bible tells us that God is kind to unthankful and wicked people. Why is that? Well, Romans 2, 4 tells us it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. God is kind to unthankful and wicked people in hopes that it will lead them to repentance. 1 Timothy 2, 3 tells us that God desires everyone to be saved, for everyone to come into a relationship with him and the truth. And one of the ways that God accomplishes that is through his kindness. We too can use the tool of kindness towards one another in hopes that it will lead them to repentance. I actually had the opportunity to see how kindness can open the door to repentance while I was attending a Christian camp one summer when I was in high school. And one year while attending this week-long Christian high school summer camp, one of the activities that they did at the very beginning was they gave us the name of a person that would be our secret pal for that week. And we were not to tell anyone the person we had, and then just secretly, anonymously throughout the week, we were supposed to do a variety of kind things, whatever we wanted, just kind things. And at the very end of the week, we would reveal ourselves to our secret pal. I thought, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. However, the person I got for the week was not a very nice person. As a matter of fact, he was a real jerk. No sooner did the week start that this guy was making fun of everybody, calling everybody names, putting anybody and everybody down. Anything he could do to make anybody feel bad about themselves, he would do or say. And for whatever reason, didn't know the guy, never seen him before, he made me his main target. And every time I saw this guy or got near him, he would say or do something to make fun of me. To make matters worse, there was a group of guys who thought he was funny, which only encouraged him to be more obnoxious. All that to say, I had zero interest 
and being this guy's secret pal, much less trying to do nice things for this guy throughout the week. Secret assassin, yes. Secret pal, no. However, I had a secret pal, someone I didn't know, who was doing really nice things for me throughout the week. So I thought I got to at least try to do nice things for this obnoxious guy all the while he was just trying to humiliate me. So we get to the very end of the week. We're at the closing bonfire where we would reveal ourselves to our secret pal. Now, one of the things they encouraged us to do throughout the week was, you know, to work on kind of one really nice final wow gift for our secret pal and then to give it to them that night as you revealed yourself to them. So I kind of gotten the idea and thought, I'm just going to make this really nice cross out of some very colorful rocks that I had collected uh, throughout uh, the week at camp. And it really, really turned out pretty nice, so nice that when it was done, I had actually kind of thought about just keeping it for myself and just giving him a dollar, you know? <laughs> when the time came that Friday night, I dreaded. I mean, I'd never felt dread like I did that night. I dreaded going up to this guy because I knew he was probably going to say something you know, just really degrading about what I had made or he's going to make some mean comment about it. Not to mention he's sitting there with this same group of guys who thought he was so funny. So I finally mustered up enough courage. I walked over to him, gave him the cross, and before he could say a word, I immediately turned around, walked away, went, sat back down, and just looked at the ground. I could not bear the thought of looking over at him and seeing him mocking me or mocking uh, the gifts. So I just kept looking at the ground. A few moments later, the person who was sitting next to me kind of nudged me and I kind of looked over at him and he kind of pointed to where this guy was sitting. So I kind of looked over and he's walking towards me. And the closer he gets, I see there's tears coming down his face. So I stood up and he came over to me and he said, I am so sorry for the way I treated you this week. He said, I'm so ashamed of myself. Can you forgive me? I said, absolutely, I forgive you. That's the power of kindness. That's why God is kind to unthankful, wicked people. It is the doorway to repentance. When we show kindness, especially towards those who are not Christ followers, it has the power and the potential to lead people to repentance and a relationship with God. So my challenge for us, for me, going forward, is let's commit ourselves to using the tools that God has given to us as a way forward in building and maintaining our relationship with God and with one another. That today, this week, every situation, every circumstance you encounter, that we would just allow the Holy Spirit 
who has equipped us with very powerful tools to enable us to use one or more of those nine fruits of the Spirit in our response, in our reaction. That we would recognize that healthy, life-giving relationships are a big, big part of the mission of the church. And that God has given us very effective, powerful tools in accomplishing that mission. And as we are steadfast and as we're faithful in using those tools, not only will they breathe life into our relationships among one another, but it'll also be a very powerful witness to an unbelieving world that God is alive and among us and that he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the best and the final hope for all mankind. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Father, as we just... Again, stand in your presence this morning. God, we recognize the past is the past. It's behind us. Today is a new day. Today is a new beginning. Today is a fresh start. So Father, let us just commit to doing what we need to do to amends for the past and to do that quickly so that we can move forward into today and move forward into the future unhindered. And Father, I pray that as we move into this day, as we move into this new week, that every one of us in this room, we're gonna face a variety of situations and circumstances. And some of those are gonna be great. They're gonna be happy. They're gonna be wonderful circumstances. Some of them are gonna be very challenging, very trying, very demanding. But God, it doesn't matter what we find ourselves in, that you have given us very powerful, effective tools that we can use to respond and to react in any and every one of those situations. So Father, I just pray that you'll make us aware, make us alert, especially in those difficult, trying times, that Lord, you've given us some very powerful tools. And would you just bring that to our remembrance? That you would just whisper to our hearts, hey, I've got something for this that'll really help you. And that Lord, we would submit, we would be surrendered to just allowing that tool, that characteristic to manifest in us. Father, again, we just look to you. We thank you for the example that you've given to us in scripture, the example that you've given to us in your son, Jesus, Lord. And just make us imitators of that. And Father, help us as we focus on the mission of life, the mission of the church. That part of that great mission is our relationships with one another. And Father, again, we just ask, Lord, that you would just continue to work a very deep bond of unity, a deep bond of love within our congregation amongst us here. That when an unbelieving person comes in and they see the way that we love one another, that it might truly demonstrate that you are among us and that you sent your son Jesus Christ for us and he is alive and well in this place. Father, we pray for that kind of a witness. We pray for that kind of an effectiveness. And again, we thank you 
We thank you for all that you're doing for us and in us and through us. And Father, just to help us yield ourselves more and more to you, that you would abound in any and every situation through us. And again, we thank you that you have given us the means uh, to be free in you and to be victorious in all things. We thank you for all this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.